Would you turn with me to to the book of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'd invite you to take a thousand and one. Hebrews chapter 1. We are beginning a four-week series on the book of Hebrews. I'm going to say a little bit more about that in just a minute. Thank you, Russ, for praying for me and praying for us. Would you join me as I just again briefly ask God to meet us? Father, I pray that you'd help me to watch closely over your word over the next month. Help me and the elders to watch ourselves carefully and look at ourselves in the mirror as we look at this passage, and I pray that the congregation also will. And I pray that I, as one of the pastors, would watch over the flock as, those, as one who will give an account as this letter says, help me to be able to do it with joy and not with groaning. I pray that you would help us now as we dive into this book. Help us to heed the exhortation in Jesus' name. Amen. I came across this quotation, I don't know how many years ago. I'm not sure what book or if it was from a sermon, but... Credited to John Piper, he once wrote these words, the life of the Christian or the godly, the life of a Christian is not a straight line to glory or to heaven, but but they do get there. The life of the godly is not an interstate through Nebraska, but a state road through the Blue Ridge Mountains of Tennessee. There are rock slides and precipices and dark mists and bears and slippery curves and hairpin turns that make you go backwards in order to go forward. But all along this hazardous, twisted road there that doesn't let you see very far, there are frequent signs that say, the best is yet to come. And right at the bottom of the corner, written with the unmistakable hand on that sign, as I live says the Lord. During this Christmas season, some call it, I like to call it, Advent season, longing and waiting as we wait for the coming of our Lord, the first coming in Christmas. We're going to spend four sermons on the book of Hebrews. I really encourage you to join together as a congregation to study the book of Hebrews together, not by just attending the next three after today, next three sermons through the 22nd. One of the ways that I'd encourage you to do that is to get one of these Bible reading plans. On the back, I gave some suggestions about how to actually read the Bible, how to read these passages How to ask questions. What does this passage tell me about God that I should praise or trust or adore or delight in? And what does this passage say is my duty, my calling? Oh, I'm supposed to obey this. So I encourage you to take this. But each day, so starting today, you'll you'll read Jeremiah 33, 14 today. It's a verse about God's glory coming. It's The one verses that start each passage or each day are actually about Christmas or the coming of the Lord, the prophecies of the Old and in the fulfillment in the New Testament. But then each day for the next three weeks, you'll read about two chapters of Hebrews every day. It it, it takes some effort, but I think it'll be really worth it. And I'd encourage you, by doing that, you'll read Hebrews three times. And, and I hope that today's sermon will set your reading up better. So today, later on, you'll read chapters 1 and 2. And you'll go, that message in my taking of notes, and you can take it on the back sheet of your bulletin. It has the outline for today. You'll start to see these themes as you read every day or every morning through the book of Hebrews. And may God shape our lives through this. Jesus said, if you abide in me 
and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I think when we let his words abide in us, what we wish is his word being shaped in us. So back to that illustration of a wandering road. The Christian life is full of them, full of difficulties and trials. If there are signs for the Christian life that says the best is yet to come, and it says, as I live, says the Lord, Hebrews is a letter that is pointing us to that reality. The best is yet to come. Stay on the road. Keep looking to the great author and beginner of your faith who brought you on this road, and do not turn away from him. This book is all about look to Jesus. What better time than during Christmas or Advent that we to look to Jesus? What better time than any day you're at it is look to Jesus? So I want us to look to Jesus as we look in the next four weeks. I want you on your own and or with the family to spend time looking to Jesus. And so to ask, say that question, I mean, you're going to see this if you read this. You're going to see, consider Jesus. You're going to see looking unto Jesus, considering Him. And then you're going to look in who's Him? Jesus. That really should make us ask the question of... Um, why should we look to Jesus? And Hebrews seeks to answer those questions. Why? Well, there's dangers everywhere. And if you don't look to Jesus, you're dead meat spiritually. And why would you look to anything else when you learn who Jesus is? You don't even need that, that question anymore. When you see and taste Jesus as he really is, you're, these other things, these dangers fade away. But of course, the question also we need to ask is, how do we look to Jesus? What does that really look like in our daily life? What does that look like in the walk of the Christian life called faith? And so, please join us, not just now, not just with your mind over the next 35 minutes and not over the next three Sundays, but each day, would you join us? I, I do think that God will use it. You'll pray for me more as I preach. And, and because you're present in the congregation, these are, so how do we look to Jesus and why is it so important? Well, today's message sets you up and we're going to look through just a survey of different parts of Hebrews. And I'm going to say it's this because there's dangers everywhere. We have to look to Jesus. Dangers ahead. I mean, you've seen danger signs. Walk, don't run. No diving. I always hated that one. Wash your hands before returning to work. No texting while driving. Beware of the dog. No trespassing. No unauthorized vehicles. Violators will be towed. Beware of a sharp turn. These are all warnings. I was, this week, a couple weeks ago, I was on the California coast and I came across this very important sign. It's, it said, unstable cliffs, danger, stay back, no public access. And I, I came up to it kind of close, and I looked down, and I said, yeah, there's a reason for that sign. Because if you went over that cliff, if you were just walking, because actually that was where a sidewalk used to be, most likely to your death. A warning, a danger, watch out. Um, what makes us listen to warnings and danger, uh, warnings of dangers? Think about that for a second. You kind of got to believe that it's a real danger and that you're really in danger. I mean, far too often, I, I grew up with four wheelers, ATVs at our house. Warning, never operate this without a helmet. What's a helmet? Now, kids, have a helmet on when you go and your parents tell you to do that. But I just don't remember doing it. I ignored it because I didn't believe it was a danger. But I have learned and I know people that have been severely damaged or dead because they did not heed that danger. I mean, all the time, 
I just I was watching the Chernobyl miniseries recently, and just has been the idea of radioactive material coming is a scary thing. I mean, would you heed the danger if you came up to a section, say a room, and there across the sign says, "Beware, danger, warning, radioactive material in this room." I'm going to stay away. I'm I'm not going there. This passage says danger. And whether you believe it or not really matters. And whether you believe it's a big deal or not, it matters even more. Now, back to the sign that we have where it says, watch unstable cliffs, danger, stay back, no public access. Now, I want to ask you that, is that a negative sign? Yeah, it's kind of negative. It wasn't beautiful cliffs here, dangerous, but it's really nice. And that, that'd be positive. It was negative. But, but we all, but would you say that the sign was unloving because it was negative? No. Um, we don't know if it's loving, but it's not unloving just because it's negative. In fact, it's meant to be helpful in that sense. I guess it would be kind of loving or caring. It's protecting. It's directing away from harm. And so this... These messages are all meant to point us to Jesus with at least this morning going, there is a, a negative side, and that is watch out, but look to Jesus. Okay, what about this church? It's called, this book is called the Hebrews. There isn't a lot we know about them. We're not sure even who wrote this letter. It might have been the Apostle Paul, but many people think, no, it's, there's no... There's no label or no autograph of who wrote it. We're not sure where they are. We don't know, of course, who wrote it, though he was with Timothy, if you read at the very end. I guess our, our best clues from the book is that they were Christians. This, there's Christians that are being talked about in this. It's a church. And many of them are probably Jewish in background because they, they seem to know a lot about the Old Testament. This book is filled with references to the Old Testament angels and Moses and the priests. A man named Melchizedek is brought up many times. Abraham, David, Joseph, Cain, Adam, all the Old Testament legends. Now, we also know some things about their past. So if you went to Hebrews 10, 32 and 34, you'll, and we're going to be all over Hebrews this morning, you'll read, the author says, but recall the former days when after you, he's talking to the church, you were enlightened. That means you were converted. You endured a hard struggle with suffering. Some of you were being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes you were being partners with those so treated. You had compassion on those who were in prison and you joyfully accepted your property getting plundered because you you yourselves knew that you had a better possession and abiding one. In summary, you, your past church, you suffered persecution for your Christianity and you remained faithful. We also know about their present condition a little bit from chapter 6, verse 10, where he says, For God is not unjust to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. So here's a church that was persecuted and is probably still going through the threats of persecution for their faith in Christ Jesus and who is still loving the saints that are in that area, the Christians. So they've endured. However, it's also a church in spiritual crisis. And in chapter 6, verse 12, we read that they're dull of hearing. And they should be mature, but they actually are not mature. They should be already teachers in their maturity, but they're actually they're like little kindergartners spiritually. And he can't even get advanced in anything because they are so weak and immature, and it's their fault. Also, we find in this letter that he's urging them not to turn away and, re and, and to, to neglect and ignore um, 
the false teaching or at least the, the temptations to be drawn away from what they first learned in Christ and to beware lest they ignore a great salvation that has been given to them. But now I'm slipping into the dangers, which I'm going to get. I'm going to give you five in just a minute. But I need to set the tone for Hebrews for you. Sometimes in the Christian life or in the Christianity today, we think in terms of, I pray to prayer and ask Jesus in my heart, and therefore I say, I'm converted then. And, or I'm saved. That we often, we, we often associate that the beginning of our Christian life, conversion. And there is, there is, I got saved. That's a way of talking in the past. I got saved, or I was born again. I was converted. I became a Christian. And then there's a way of talking about it in the future. I will be saved. And that's also faithful, meaning I will be saved from the wrath to come. Someday Christ is going to return, or I'm going to die, I'm going to face my judge. Will I be saved from his judgment that will look down on me and curse me, or will I actually be justified in in the last day, saved from the final judgment, and inherit all of the promises offered to all of those that, well, at my conversion, I seem to receive promises. So there's both. There's, I got saved, and I will be saved in the end. I long for all of us to be saved in the end. And I believe in the eternal security of the believer that if they have been truly born again in their salvation, they will be saved in the end because God covenantally comes in Jesus Christ. He becomes the mediator of this covenant Jesus does, and he connects us, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, he unites us, he gives us his Holy Spirit, we become new and real, and not perfect though, not sinless, but there's a new nature, and we will therefore, those that have been truly, now the emphasis truly, been born again, will be saved in the end. Hebrews assumes or talks about both of these things, but brings into another component that is absolutely vital and often ignored in the Christian church today. And that is the necessity of perseverance. And that goes in the middle. I am being saved. Not being saved in that I'm earning my salvation. Not being saved in that my justification is being added onto and that I got to keep myself saved. But Hebrews will not make sense to you if you read it this week and this month over and over again. If you don't understand that the New Testament talks in terms of if you are saved here, got saved. And if you, those that got saved will be saved in the end, provided that they're persevering and holding fast to the truth to the end. And so this book is about saying... You're on the journey because Jesus put you on that road. And you're going to get to the end. The best is yet to come. And stay on that road. And by the way, I'm going to keep you on that road to the end. But listen to the promises of God. I guess it's like 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, when it says, I preached the gospel to you, which you believed. That's in the past. In which you are being saved if you hold fast to the end, that's that middle side. He says, lest you believed it in vain. So this might bring up a lot of questions. I hope you wrestle through these truths over the next month because I do believe, I know that God wants you and me to hear this message. This message is meant to save you, Christian, to save me, keep me in his persevering, believing, not like much of Israel who wandered. In the wilderness, they were destroyed because of unbelief and drifting and sin. And they did not enter his rest. But we are not as those who will shrink back and be destroyed, but persevere, trusting in Christ, looking to Jesus, the author and finish of our faith.
Okay, with that said, here's five dangers we have to watch out for. They're, and I say we, but they were written to this church by God through the auth, human author for this church. Five dangers they were in, and I believe we are in today. Now, danger number one is drifting. We find that in, throughout the letter, I hope you, you can maybe see it in different places, but at most prominently in chapter two, I read it this morning. If you read the reading plan, you'll get to one and two this morning or today. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from it. He's writing to a church. He's writing to people that got saved. They were enlightened. They were fighting the fight of faith. They were staying faithful. They believed Jesus and repented of their sins. But he says, watch out, must, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, you, you got a messenger from the angel in the Old Testament, it was reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution. If you didn't listen to him, you were in trouble. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first declared by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. And in this book, Hebrews, um, we will see that, well, I'm, we're going to see this next week, that what I think that the author is saying is, church, don't drift away. There are temptations that are placed in front of you. It's getting hard to be a Christian. It's difficult. Your faith is being tested. You, you are being, you're losing your home because of Christianity, your faith in Christ. You're, you're taking persecution. You're taking heat and insults. And some were maybe tempting them to go back to the Jewish system alone and avoid Jesus because the Jews were kind of, at, at least at that time, in an acceptable sect in the land. They weren't taking the same persecution. They were persecutors. Of, the, of Christians, just go back to the angels, go back to Moses, go back to Abraham. We're going to see that um, as we look at Jesus in a, in a specific way next week. For us, though, we, are in the da- we could be in the danger of drifting away. There's a danger for us today to drift from Jesus and look to counterfeit Jesuses or counterfeit saviors and lords who will bring us help and hope and security, but it's not Jesus. Or it's Jesus plus them. And all of those counterfeit saviors will not last. And they won't do the trick. They won't do and fulfill what we, were need, we need in Jesus. And he, as you see in this passage, pleads us, do not ignore such a great salvation. Do you know that we church-going members, people that have professed Christ already, we can drift We can drift, and we can do it sitting right in this service. I'm not talking about the drifting of your your attention right now, which might be gone. I'm talking about the drifting of our hearts. We slowly move away from the centrality of Christ and the gospel, and we ignore our great salvation. Yes, in word, we believe in Jesus, and we know that there's no salvation other than Jesus Christ, but it's not what it looks like in our lives. It looks like the, the latest self-help book. Our social media and connections and friends, our need to be on our technology or our phones or our pleasures or comforts or friends, our hobbies, the good opinions of others, and we have drifted. We have created our own version of Christianity, which is not Christianity. It is not Christ. And let us beware of drifting. Let us beware. And these all overlap, these dangers. And he says, so don't look to anything else. Why would you do it if you know who Jesus really is? Danger number two, unbelief. We find the danger of unbelief throughout this book of Hebrews. He basically says, beware of the danger of unbelief or not continuing to believe God in his word. Look at me with look with me at Hebrews 3:10. Hebrews 3:10. 
He's making a reference to the Old Testament. Moses in the wilderness with the God's people. They, they rebelled against God and they rebelled against Moses. And the reason is they didn't believe God. Therefore, I was provoked. This is a reference to God. God was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers. Take care, faith church. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. He's talking, he's saying, brothers, Christians, those that have already professed Christ, take care lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you, sounds like drifting, to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So what he's saying is, watch out, unbelief could be a temptation or a reality for you if you don't watch it. And so here he actually says, so every day you need to get in each other's lives. You need to get in each other's uh, phones and send texts to each other. We need to be encouraging each other with with helpful reminders, in-person contact. That's why small groups or Wednesday night or having people in your home with the intentional purpose of what verse 13 says, exhorting one another. Do you know what the word exhort means? It means to communicate something emphatically. Like, just, I, I want you to get this across and urgently so that they would take heed to it and practice it. That's what this whole book of Hebrews is. In chapter 13, it's called the exhortation. And so we need, we did, and the purpose here is so that we do not disbelieve, fall into unbelief, a lack of faith. It's what we were talking about in the book of Habakkuk, going from pain to praise on the path of steadfast trust. And oh, it, it is a community project to help each other Walk the walk of faith. I am so thankful that God has had people, including my wife, including others in this church, including my parents, including people in my former churches, members and friends inside and outside of the church, brothers and sisters, who have exhorted me, urged me to not give up, but to continue to believe the promises of God, to believe God's goodness who He is and what He has said for us, that the best is yet to come, that He is with me and He's going to help me in all that God has called you or me to do. This passage says we need to watch out for unbelief. Notice how he says, so that you would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're going to see sin in just a minute here. You know, sin is deceitful. It tricks us. It makes us believe a lie. Do you, get, do you see that? We are in competitive believing. Do we believe sin? Or do we believe God? Sin says the indulgence of this lust will be good for you for the next 15, 20 minutes. Forget about what happens after that when you start to feel really guilty about lusting or sinning or whatever it is. But believe that it's what you need right now. It'll meet your needs. God says, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. I am... I am your helper. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will take care of you. I will meet all your needs. You can do all things through me who give, is your strength. And so Paul's, or the, the Hebrew author is urging the church, beware, there's a danger of falling in unbelief. You need to cling to the promises of God. It is a warfare because there is enemies attacking you to keep you from believing the promises, having your heart hardened, and that you would have an unbelieving heart. All of us are prone to it, prone to wander. We sing, sang that last, or Tuesday night. Prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart and take it, seal it. Oh God, help me to believe your promises. Beware, professing believer at Faith Church. Beware of an unbelieving heart that subtly creeps in. 
We find that we are no longer believing in Christ, but the almighty dollar. Or we're believing in our spouse, or our friends, or ourselves, or something else. Which in the end, we'll realize it's just not a stable thing to believe in. Not in the way that you are meant to believe, or put your faith, or your rest, your hope in God. We're going to see, you read, you read this week, through this book, you're going to see the idea, the opposite of unbelief is faith or belief, trust in God. Think of those same words similar, faith unbelief, or belief, trust, all similar, same concept. And he's going to say the essence of faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, I believe it's going to happen, the best is yet to come, he is my God, I'm going to trust in him. And if you were to read in Hebrews 11, you're going to see Abraham. He looked to the promises. It got hard, but he kept looking to the promises, believing in the God who did the impossible. Moses rejected Pharaoh and the treasures of Egypt and took reproach with Christ, it says, because he knew it was far greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. Now, how in the world can you think that reproach with Christ in the slavery of God's people would be actually better wealth than Egypt? Because you believed in a God who made promises and who hopes for what he does not see, Romans 8 says. But we hope for what we do not see. But if we hope, we wait for it with patience. This book is saying, trust me, says the Lord. I will care for you, and the best is yet to come. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to him will, believes that he exists, and he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Hebrews 11.6 Faith Church, beware of unbelief. Beware of losing your faith. There are young people that will graduate from high school, grew up in a Christian home, and are gone. And they quit believing. And they just believe some alternative thing. Beware of them. And oh, I pray that our young people will not stop believing, but only grow in belief and faith. Amen? Amen. Lose the faith, but, to f- but follow him forever and only grow in faith. Amen? Amen? Okay, good. Thank you. But... But here's the thing, children are sometimes, and I want to say too often, it's because of the seeds planted by their parents, not always, not always, but often it's the seeds planted, seeds of unbelief planted by parents. And I say it with pain and with humility and with gospel hope that God can even overcome those things. And if God saves our children, it is his mercy, not not because of our great parenting. However, parents are often undermining their kids' growing faith by making the daily decisions that demonstrate what really matters to mom and dad, and it's not Jesus. It's not the gathering of God's people to worship on the Lord's Day and the daily presence of God's Word in the home and a dad who... Yes, gets angry, but then asks for forgiveness. And, and, and the kids start to grow that this word and Jesus really matters and makes a difference in their lives. Oh, unbelief. Do we have it? And the kid, our kids are, are gaining the seeds of unbelief if they see a phoniness in us. Beware of unbelief when hardships and trials hit. I know that many can struggle when, man, death or pain that is so traumatic in our lives hit, our faith seems to be just gone. And it's in the times of peace and tranquility, or we, we, we dig into the word saying, I know darkness could come, trials could come, and oh God, I want to right now build the roots so that they're strong and deep. So this letter is saying, don't turn away. Beware of the danger of unbelief. Answer, look to Jesus. He is faithful. He is good. He is grace. He is grace, and he is worth trusting. And the third danger is the danger of not growing. 
danger of not growing. Beware, Faith Church, of the danger of not growing in your knowledge of God and the truth, but remaining immature, weak, requiring milk when you should be eating meat. Hebrews 5.11 says, I was starting to talk to you about this man named Melchizedek. I can't go on because you're just, there's a lot to, it's too hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. You shouldn't be a child anymore is his implication. And frankly, churches are filled with a lot of people that have been, quote, Christians for a long time, but they're babies spiritually. They haven't, they haven't grown. And if, frankly, if you never grow, you're... Is there life? That's the question that's worth asking. It might, you might have made a, a decision, but you won't be at the end saved because there was nothing real to begin with if there's no maturity growing on. And that's one of the reasons why the church exists is to, to nourish and nurture our faith and grow us up. That's why God gave teachers and elders in order to teach sound doctrine that is to be faithful to God's word and useful for our living in the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says, Paul's grieved by the church and he says, I can't address you as spiritual people, because, but people of the flesh. You're infants in Christ. And this, it wasn't a compliment. He wasn't just talking to a bunch of people that just got saved. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. This letter He's going to say, there's some of you, way too many of you, not maturing. You're not growing. Are you growing? Oh, I pray that, I don't, I don't care if you are a great-grandparent. I, I think God has the most growth for your life still to come. Believe that. Don't think, I'm already past the stage of growing. I, I feel regrets, all of that, but I'm done. Because I just, I mean, just I'm at this stage. No, God, God can revive your heart. You can be on fire for Him and by His grace. If you you got to look to Christ, the Christ of this book of Hebrews. And whether you've been a Christian or a parent or wherever your stage of life for far longer than you, you, you should be, at least in your, your spiritual growth, how can we... How can we be mature if we don't read the word daily and pray and learn to pray and get help praying and, and be, put ourselves regularly and faithfully and under the preaching and teaching and study of God's word in small group and big group settings? Are you desiring to move past the elementary things and go deeper to know and understand Jesus and his way of life and for your life and for your family and for whatever God has for you the rest of your life? If you're not growing at all, you're not a Christian. Because if you abide in Christ, you're connected to the life source, and he's, he bats a hundred, a thousand, I should say, completely perfect. When, when you're connected to the life, he causes growth. Abide in him. Danger number four is beware of sin. Sin is its middle letter, I, selfishness, but it's more than that. It's not just selfish indulgence. It's transgressing God's law, His way, flaunting it, not loving the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Hebrews 10.26 says, He warns them, if you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. These are hard verses and have tangled a lot of people up who are real Christians saying, am I really saved because I sinned and I deliberately did it? I don't think he's necessarily saying, you, if you deliberately sinned, you're going to hell. He's not saying that, but he's saying if you have this casual view of sin and you just ignore sin in your life and its damaging effect and you just make light of it and you just rest in the fact, well, he's going to save me. I just asked him to forgive me. I just, I got that. 
I have the easy get out of hell card when I prayed the prayer and I have the get my conscience clean right by just praying, I, I confess my sins and I'm good. If you have that casual mindset about sin, it's just not consistent with the life that's in Christ and believing in his goodness. And so this letter is meant to be a warning. It's meant to be like a smelling salt to us. To do like, oh man, I was, I, was in, I was unconscious in my yucky sin, and this is waking me up to go, I need to fight sin. Romans 8, you want to read Romans 8? Romans 6, 7, and 8, you're going to talk a lot about killing sin, going after the flesh that's still in us. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. What does that mean? We're going to see more as we go through this. It's very much like what 1 John 3, 6 says. No one who abides in him, that's Jesus, keeps on sinning. What? No one who keeps sinning has either seen him or known him. And if you read further in John, you know that he's not saying Christians never sin. Once you get saved, you don't sin anymore. If you sin, you're not saved. That's not what he says. But he's saying, he says, in fact, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. But if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. And don't sin, but I have given you an advocate with the Father in your sinning. But he's going to say, but if his seed, his life abides in you, and you're really in him, the pattern of sinning, the fighting, you're going to have a new relationship with sin. You see, Christians sin, but they have a new relationship with sin. They see sin, but they're conscious of that, and they're burdened about that, and they ask for help. They get accountability. They go to God's word. They pray. They seek help. They confess their sin, and they do not make peace with sin, and they cling to Christ. Do you? Are you ignoring the sin in your life? Are you making light of sin in your life? Sin is an evil, the evil impulses of our hearts. It always wants to put ourselves first and, oh, we need to run to Christ, our great high priest who made purification for sins, our great brother who was tempted and suffered. We, don't, we get tempted, but we don't suffer because we don't obey in our temptation too, far too often. You see, the reason of for Christmas is that the Son of God appeared. That's 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared, that's Christmas, was to destroy the works of the devil. And in that context, he's saying, sin in our lives. Hebrews is saying, watch out to take sin lightly. Look to Christ. And lastly, beware of ignoring correction. Number, danger number five, beware of ignoring correction. Beware of the danger, faith, church, of despising the discipline of the Lord and ignoring even the warnings of this book or this sermon series the next four weeks. I see that if you, you want to know where, where I get this is, it's from chapter 12. He says, haven't you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? You're children of God. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He says, if you don't get disciplined, you're an illegitimate child. You're not really a son. Besides, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us for our good. He does that for our good. For they discipline for a short time as it seems best, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. You see, on the path from getting saved to I'm saved in the end, he is making us holy in one way is through discipline. It might be the discipline of today's sermon that spanks your heart and calls you to repent of some of these dangers that are already taking root in your life and running to him. And it's his loving discipline that's correcting you. Do not ignore the correction of the Lord. Or despise him when he calls. He Sometimes he disciplines us because we sinned and we need that spanking spiritually. But it's all done in love for our growth and to be made like him. And sometimes he disciplines us not in correct correlation with our sin. But just it's the proactive discipline of a trial or temptation or a difficulty in our lives. And he says, that's my discipline to make you more like me. 
And I know that many of you have experienced trials and tribulations. They're not specifically because of a sin, but it's still the discipline of the Lord saying, I'm in a tra- you're in a training ground in this earth. I'm going to make you holy. Don't despise my trials. Don't tr- despise my work, but only believe in me. Keep looking to me. I'm going to make you like my son. And look to him, by the way. Or... And you see that at the very, well, in verse 25 of chapter 12, he's, he's summing up, getting close to the end of this sermon, this letter. And he says in verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. He's talking about himself. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. So, I think... It is God through the writer saying, do not refuse this. The answer is look to Jesus. I know that can be a cliche, so I pray that I, I, I pray to God that in the next month, we will not just see that as a Christian cliche. We just need to look to Jesus. What does that mean? Well, I'm not, I'm not going to go into detail because we're going to wrap up here. We're going to look at... Jesus' personhood and how it relates to these dangers next week. How we look to who he really is. He's perfect and eternal. He's God and man. And what that matters to your Monday morning. But I pray that we would look to Jesus and not drift. And we would believe his promises. And we would grow in his grace, not stay immature. And we would kill sin. And we would listen to instructions. And I want to end with this. First, I want to end with this. If you are here and you have, maybe you've made this profession, but there's been no perseverance and you don't have hope to last to the end because you're not, would you turn to Christ? Look to Christ. If you need to talk with me or a pastor, we'd love to help you grow in the Lord. It might be that you never were saved. Sometimes people have not been saved and they just prayed a prayer, but some of it might be you are saved and God just, he's challenging you. He's disciplining you. You are his son. He's convicting you to continue on the path that he's called you to. And some of you might be here and you've never given your life to Jesus and have never been, incur- you've never been converted. You've never been saved. And I call you to repent of your sins today and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will save you if you look alone to him. And he will give you his promises and he will give you his people. And he calls you on this journey. I want to end with a passage I read this morning. I got up this morning. I pulled out. I already I cheated because I... I'm the pastor. I get this ahead of time. I got this, this Bible reading plan that you got today, and I read Hebrews 1 and 2. I read Hebrews a lot this week, the last month, but two verses hit me, and so I'm going to share them with you, and this is how we'll end this sermon. Look at Hebrews 2, 1, 17, and 18. Let's apply this sermon with these two words. Let's look to Jesus with me. Hebrews 2, 17, and 18. If you read the Bible plan, you'll get to this. You'll finish with this today. Therefore, he, that's Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He became a man and he suffered temptation and he suffered death and he died. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Oh, I'd encourage you to spend some of today just really pondering he's faithful and he's merciful. He's a faithful and merciful high priest because he suffered all those things and became a man and all that humiliation. He did that for me, that he could be faithful. That means he's, he's, you can count on him. He, he's the high priest. He's the one that goes before God and And when God accepts me because he goes as my mediator, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Why? And to finish this sentence, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. His blood was shed so God would say, I'm satisfied in my wrath. I needed to take care and be just against sin. Now I can forgive sin and still be just. My, my, my perfect righteous anger is satisfied. It's propitiated 
Because not only was he the high priest to make the offering, he was the sacrificial lamb laying himself down to be our substitute. Verse 18, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Are you being tempted to drift? Are you being tempted to unbelieve? Unbelief? Are you being tempted in, in your continue not growing or your sin or you're not listening to correction? Look to the one who was tempted and will help you being tempted. I love this thought, though. It hit me. We often are tempted, but we don't suffer in our tempt- temptation because two minutes into the temptation, we just give in. No suffering. I'm going to avoid suffering. I'm going to give in. I'm going to cave. Whatever it might be, our anger, our wrath, our lust, our fears. He suffered in his temptation because he obeyed to the end. He did it for us. We can never do what he did in the same way he did it as our substitute. And now he's this priest and and he prays for us and he helps us. The point of this letter is you have no shot at not drifting or remaining faithful unless you look to this one who is your friend and your brother and your priest, your savior who upholds the universe by the word of his power and yet laid his life down to be your friend and brother and sacrifice. So let's pray. Father, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Jesus is better. Help our hearts to believe. God, I pray that you would help us to look to Jesus, to draw near to Jesus, to put our mind on Jesus, let his words be in our minds and our lives. I pray that we'd fight sin with Jesus and what he's done for us. I pray that we would live our lives reoriented towards following and obeying and loving him. Would you change us, redirect us, correct us, bring us to repentance, revive us through, the, through your holy word in Hebrews this month. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.